Tonight, not guilty. The former head of Canada's COVID vaccine rollout is acquitted of sexual assault. The judgment for Major General Denis Feltin. I am so relieved. This is a huge burden off our shoulders. Over allegations from his time in military college. Navigating the crisis in children's hospitals across the country. The line for triage was like almost two hours. Long waits, short staffing, and the Red Cross called in. Plus, the new forecast on food prices. It's getting tougher and tougher to stretch that dollar. No relief from the surge as grocery executives defend their bottom lines. We are not taking advantage of inflation. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Good evening, everyone. A major general taken off the front lines of Canada's COVID fight over sexual assault allegations was today found not guilty. Just over two years ago, Denis Fortin was placed in charge of the vaccine rollout. Seven months later, he was removed, while the claims dating back to the 1980s were investigated. Last August, he was charged. CTV's Annie Bergeron Oliver was at the Quebec courthouse today and starts us off. Dressed in civilian clothing for the very first time since his trial began, Major General Danny Fortin emerged from court vindicated, found not guilty of sexual assault. The way this whole situation was allowed to unfold has irreparably harmed my career, my reputation. In November 2020, Fortin was put in charge of Canada's vaccine procurement, providing updates to Canadians on a daily basis. In May 2021, he was removed from his post after a retired military member accused him of sexually assaulting her in 1988 while the two were attending Canada's military college in Quebec. Victims of assault need and deserve our support. But the fact, though, is that I was nowhere close to her room, the night in question or at any other time. Speaking in French, Justice Richard Meredith said he was convinced that the complainant was sexually assaulted, adding that the court sympathizes with her considering the suffering she experienced. However, the tribunal is far from having the degree of conviction necessary to conclude the accused is the aggressor. We're not uh, completely happy with such a verdict. We think that uh, uh, the evidence that we submitted uh, uh, was, um, was uh, enough. Fortin was one of multiple current and former military leaders to be accused of sexual misconduct over the last two years. The allegations forced the military to tackle what's repeatedly described as a toxic culture. So there will be some fine-tuning in, uh, in the case of culture change writ large to make sure that people are on board and understand the necessity of this kind of change in the military. Asked whether Fortin will get his job back, the military said, we will consider the implications of the judge's finding as it applies to our responsibilities and accountabilities going forward. Fortin is currently on the military's payroll but doesn't have a job. He says he's ready and willing to serve and is not considering retirement just yet. Omar. All right, Annie, thank you. Canada's health care crisis continues to deepen tonight. Children's hospitals across this country are buckling under a surge of pediatric admissions spurred on by a triple wave of infectious respiratory diseases. Medical staff is being diverted, procedures cancelled, and in one case, the Red Cross is being called in. CTV's Kevin Gallagher on tragic consequences of a strained system. 
This year's flu strain is hitting children especially hard, overwhelming pediatric hospitals, prompting calls for more people to get vaccinated. I cannot stress enough the importance of influenza immunization right now, this year in particular, as the best protection we have against infection. A national emergency that's turned tragic for this Richmond, B.C. hockey team after their six-year-old teammate, Danielle Cabana, died of flu-related complications. The team's all coming together and really supporting the family. Over the weekend, B.C. Children's Hospital was so short-staffed, it triggered a code orange, usually reserved for mass casualty events. As a father, uh, but also as a, as a leader, I'm extremely worried uh, about what... Uh, Canadian kids are facing right now. Families really worried about whether or not they're going to be able to get their kids uh, to hospitals. High flu levels combined with RSV and COVID-19 are devastating other children's hospitals around the country too, delaying pediatric surgeries in St. John's, causing 12-hour wait times in Calgary, and forced the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario to call on the Red Cross to help solve its staffing issues. They'll be working the night shift which will allow us to um, send uh, some of our own staff that have been uh, doing those night shifts back to literally their day job. Today, Ontario Premier Doug Ford promises more staff is on the way. We're graduating, uh, well, we're actually bringing on this year alone, and we still have a month left, 14, over 14,000 nurses, and some of them are going to be pediatric nurses. But that help won't arrive in time for this flu season as pediatricians call on governments to find urgent and long-term solutions, Omar. All right, Kevin Gallagher in Ottawa tonight. Kevin, thank you. There are no solutions right now to the skyrocketing cost of food across Canada, and next year it's only getting worse. Grocery prices are expected to go up between 5 and 7 percent, while restaurant prices will increase 4 to 6 percent. That forecast comes as some grocery store executives were pressed for answers. CTV's Atlantic Bureau Chief Creason Ajkate reports. At the grocery store, more shoppers are finding new ways to stretch their dollar. They're much more, you know, picky and choosy, so to say. Anything I can freeze or preserve because things are just out of this world in prices. A new report is now predicting food prices will rise yet again next year. We're expecting a weaker currency, uh, higher energy costs. Uh, we're also uh, expecting higher input costs. The annual grocery bill for a family of four is expected to increase by almost $1,100, raising the total cost to $16,288 a year. Experts point to climate change, the war in Ukraine, and Canada's reliance on U.S. produce as factors that are all driving up prices. Issues related to uh, droughts and bacterial contamination uh, from imports of particularly leafy green vegetables uh, from Western USA. It's all pushing food security and affordability out of reach for more families. 25% of us are absolutely struggling, seeing their quality of life being impacted by by food inflation. Today at a House of Commons Agriculture Committee, two of the country's largest grocers, Loblaws and Empire, testified on food inflation. Loblaws prices are not growing faster than costs and we are not taking advantage of inflation to drive profit. The NDP has accused grocery stores of capitalizing on the high prices. 
Do you believe, Mr. Hussein, with all of these allegations, that your industry in particular uh, has a lot more work to do to uh, earn the trust of Canadians? We earn the trust of Canadians through what we do at the checkout counter. The report also predicts a 20% increase in families turning to food banks for help, with the rising prices leaving many people wondering how they will afford their next meal. Omar. For so many, an especially tough Christmas ahead. Creason, thank you. GM's new electric delivery vans began rolling off the assembly line in Ingersoll, Ontario this morning. The launch of Canada's first full-scale electric vehicle plant marks a major manufacturing milestone. But as CTV's Heather Butts reports, EVs are still tough to get. There's a steady hum at the assembly line of Canada's first large-scale electric vehicle plant, now officially open in a retooled GM plant at a cost of more than a billion dollars. Our focus is on remaining competitive. Wait times for an electric commercial vehicle like this can be two to five years as businesses and consumers turn away from gas guzzlers. Overall, EV sales jump by 68% year over year. Even though there are uh, incredible supply issues. Even then, uh, more and more people want to buy an EV and they're interested in different types of EVs. But with those choices come varying wait times. At dealerships we called, a Hyundai Kona is up to five months, while the Ionic is more than a year. If you're waiting for a new Ford F-150 Lightning, that can be up to two years. B.C. and Quebec are the only provinces with regulations mandating automakers to supply a growing percentage of EV sales. Danielle Breton of Electric Mobility Canada believes that plays a role in availability for consumers. What manufacturers do, because they know very well how to calculate, they will send the EVs first and foremost in those provinces before other provinces where they can be sometimes a rebate, but no regulation or no obligation for them to sell EVs. Those provinces are laser-focused on EV readiness and leading Canada in terms of EV sales. What we see is in places like BC and Quebec, where they built out charging infrastructure, they've provided their citizens with consumer incentives to help them make that initial purchase, that there's more interest in these vehicles and you're seeing more on the road there. The federal government is planning its own sales mandates leading up to 2035 when all new passenger vehicles sold in Canada will be electric. Omar. In just over a decade. All right, Heather, thanks. Moscow is blaming an unprecedented Ukrainian drone attack for killing three military personnel at two military bases. Surveillance video captured what appears to be the moment of the strike at airfields that house nuclear-capable bombers. The attacks are located hundreds of kilometers from the border, the first time Ukraine has hit targets so deep into Russia. <laughs> Hours later, Russia launched a large-scale missile strike in Ukraine, knocking out power in some areas and, according to Kyiv, killing four people. And a flight full of Ukrainian refugees is scheduled to land in St. John's, Newfoundland tomorrow night. Before any refugee gets an airlift, they first have to be registered. For Afghans in Pakistan, the United Nations relies on a third-party agency for the initial screening. CTV's Genevieve Boshime on the complications and the concerns. Half a dozen signs at the offices of an NGO called SHARP warn Afghan refugees against scams and bribes. Highlighting the extreme vulnerability of those on the run from the Taliban. 
I would call upon and I would appeal to all these new arrival Afghans, brother and sister, not to pay uh, to or to pay bribe to anyone. Of course, there are some reports, and uh, we take it very seriously. Uh, there is zero tolerance for corruption. Sharp is a longtime partner of the United Nations Refugee Agency in Pakistan. The first stop for Afghans on a long, difficult, and at times confusing quest to find a new home. Pakistan is not accepting any new refugees, and the more than 300,000 people who've arrived here since the fall of Kabul hope to move to countries including Canada, the United States, France. We are the first contact point for everybody because uh, we, everybody who seeks international uh, protection, they have to come to our offices. That first contact is a pre-screening to prioritize cases and determine who may be eligible to apply as a refugee. Then, for many months and months pass without any news from Sharp or the UNHCR about the next steps. So you registered in 2021 and then... And don't call me. They didn't call you? No, no. You've never spoken to anyone since? Yes, yes. Did they call you? No. No contact no at all? No contact at all. What do you think of that? I don't know what's the reason they don't call us. Sharp says the delays are due to a massive backlog. The large number of Afghans desperate to live out of the Taliban's reach. But some have grown to distrust the system. Stories circulate about bribes to speed up processing of their applications or payments to obtain fake documents. One of them who already got the UNHCR card paid $1,800 per person to get the card. Sharp has heard of some of these allegations, but says it has sturdy processes in place to root out any potential corruption and has mounted several awareness campaigns against bribes and outside scams. Everybody wants their documentation and they think paying some uh, amount, but that would not uh, help your case or influence your processes to get registration or reception with UNSCR or SHARP. And SHARP plans to open an office in Afghanistan, and that's likely to breed more distrust among refugees fearing a connection to the Taliban regime. Genevieve Boshmai, CTV News, Islamabad. Tomorrow is the 33rd anniversary of the Polytechnique massacre, where 14 women lost their lives in a mass shooting. Tonight, the Montreal Canadiens are apologizing over a social media post by star goalie Carey Price. On Saturday, Price posted a picture of himself with a rifle stating, I'm not a criminal or a threat to society in reference to federal firearms legislation. Tonight, the team stated Price was not aware of the unfortunate timing and offered a sincere apology to anyone who was offended. Price says the issue wasn't raised out of disrespect to anyone, but added, I continue to stand beside my fellow hunters. And breaking news from the soccer world, not in Qatar, but here in Canada. A new professional women's league is kicking off in 2025. Former national player Diana Matheson and her Project 8 sports group are behind the plan, which will have eight teams, including the Vancouver Whitecaps, who have pledged to be part of it. The official announcement comes tomorrow. Time for a short break, but when we come back... This is very much illegal. More so-called police stations operated by China found in Canada. Plus, the death of cheer star Kirstie Alley. There are troubling new allegations tonight of foreign interference by China. A large-scale scheme in more than 50 countries around the world, including right here in Canada 
CDV's BC Bureau Chief Melanie Nagy on the so-called police stations to harass and intimidate. A covert Chinese police station is said to be operating in Metro Vancouver. Another three are believed to be in Toronto, all allegedly set up in secret locations by Beijing. These operations are ongoing on all continents. Laura Harth is with Safeguard Defenders. The international human rights group says it has evidence China is operating dozens of stations globally. Dutch authorities have already affirmed. Irish authorities just shut down the station in Ireland. German authorities have confirmed. According to the organization's latest report, there are now at least five in Canada. While not all locations were disclosed, those in Toronto are reportedly hidden in a business plaza, a suburban home, and a convenience store. So this is very much illegal. Margaret McQuaig Johnston, an expert on human rights in China, works with safeguard defenders. Using these kind of storefronts with police agents in them is very intimidating. The report claims the stations are used to monitor and harass Chinese nationals living abroad. One of the aims of these campaigns, obviously, as it is to crack down in dissent, is to silence people. There's long been concerns about Chinese interference in Canada, including accusations Beijing attempted to meddle in the 2019 federal election. We are eyes wide open and we will do whatever it takes to protect all of our democratic institutions. China denies all allegations and says the stations are for license renewals and other services. That's what you do from a consulate or an embassy. It's not uh, something that requires a police station to be set up. Today, the RCMP said they're aware foreign states may seek to intimidate or inflict harm. They also said a criminal investigation is underway. Melanie Nagy, CTV News, Vancouver. Some sad news from the entertainment world tonight. Actress Kirstie Alley has died. I think I'm beginning to see you in a whole new light. The Emmy-winning actress rose to fame when she joined the cast of Cheers in 1987. She went on to star in dozens of movies and TV shows and once had a second-place finish on Dancing with the Stars. She died after a battle with cancer. Kirstie Alley was 71. Still ahead tonight. I got him back on my 30th birthday. Keeping families together. Indigenous child welfare reimagined. Indigenous children make up the majority of kids in the Canadian foster care system, a symptom, advocates say, of the legacy of residential schools. Now a mentorship program focused on keeping families together is being celebrated. On tonight's Indigenous Circle, CTV's Manitoba Bureau Chief Joe Mackishon explores the power of this program. In a province where more than 90% of the kids in care are Indigenous children, advocates in Manitoba have demanded more input and better programs for the Indigenous community. The family group conference model works. It's an incredibly successful program. Based on a model developed by the Maori people in New Zealand, in three years more than half of the 655 children involved in the Winnipeg program were reunited with their families or prevented from going into care. It helps children by focusing on the parents. Each rock in this jar is a success story. Oh, I was at my rock bottom. Marina Coates was addicted to meth. At times, she lived on the streets, a mother who couldn't mother anymore. Her son was put into care with family, and she signed up for help. I got a call two weeks later saying I have a mentor. 
Matched with a woman who would become her friend and teacher, her mentor supported her during visitations with her son. An alternative to a social worker, Coates was introduced to cultural ceremonies, attended addictions counseling and parenting class. She now works two jobs. I got him back on my 30th birthday. My 30th birthday, they signed him over and gave me and closed my file. That was two years ago. Since then, 98% of families involved have had success through the program, a model that could reduce foster care costs by $15 million annually. We are strongly advocating for Family Group Conference to be part of the Child Welfare, the Child and Family Service Act, to have it rooted in legislation. Certainly going to be having some conversations immediately about next steps. For now, there's talk of expanding the program, which helps struggling parents find their feet again. Jill Mackishon, CTV News, Winnipeg. And coming up after the break. You look vaguely familiar to me. Saying goodbye to a beloved star of Sesame Street. Indigenous children make up the majority of kids in the Canadian foster care system, a symptom, advocates say, of the legacy of residential schools. Now a mentorship program focused on keeping families together is being celebrated. On tonight's Indigenous Circle, CTV's Manitoba Bureau Chief Joe Mackishon explores the power of this program. In a province where more than 90% of the kids in care are Indigenous children, advocates in Manitoba have demanded more input and better programs for the Indigenous community. The Family Group Conference model works. It's an incredibly successful program. Based on a model developed by the Maori people in New Zealand, in three years more than half of the 655 children involved in the Winnipeg program were reunited with their families or prevented from going into care. It helps children by focusing on the parents. Each rock in this jar is a success story. Oh, I was at my rock bottom. Marina Coates was addicted to meth. At times, she lived on the streets, a mother who couldn't mother anymore. Her son was put into care with family, and she signed up for help. I got a call two weeks later saying, I have a mentor. Matched with a woman who would become her friend and teacher, her mentor supported her during visitations with her son. An alternative to a social worker, Coates was introduced to cultural ceremonies, attended addictions counseling and parenting class. She now works two jobs. I got him back on my 30th birthday. My 30th birthday, they signed him over and gave me and closed my file. That was two years ago. Since then, 98% of families involved have had success through the program, a model that could reduce foster care costs by $15 million annually. We are strongly advocating for Family Group Conference to be part of the Child Welfare, the Child and Family Service Act, to have it rooted in legislation. Certainly going to be having some conversations immediately about next steps. For now, there's talk of expanding the program, which helps struggling parents find their feet again. Jill Mackishon, CTV News, Winnipeg. And coming up after the break. You look vaguely familiar to me. Saying goodbye to a beloved star of Sesame Street. 